Life is not a dress rehearsal. Stop practicing what you're going to do and just go do it. In one bold stroke, you can transform today. Marilyn Gray wants you to finally do it, whatever your it may be. The new year is upon us, and we can make of it what we will. To ring in 2016, this month's theme is The New Year. Original, we know. You're listening to Jamie's Bits of Jam, a monthly storytelling podcast celebrating writing from Bricky Brave Gals. We begin with a short story written by Christina Kishpaw entitled Happy and Hopeful. Sarah is already drunk when she saunters over to Lila and pinches her arm. Hey! Hey! She whispers urgently. Ouch! What the hell? Sarah sways a bit where she stands. Come on, it didn't hurt. Lila holds her arm where it was pinched. It did. Like you can just tap me on the shoulder instead of pinching my arm, you know? Yes, I know. Okay, sorry. Sarah takes a sip of her cocktail and hums something. Lila cannot believe this. Sarah. Sarah nonchalantly looks at her. What? What do you mean, what? You just assaulted my arm to get my attention, and now you're, like, checked out? Before Sarah can answer, Kate, a stunning blonde, approaches and smiles at them. Lila smiles back in greeting. Sarah grimaces. Hey, ladies. Hey, Kate, you look amazing, Lila says. Sarah rolls her eyes. She musters out a semi-greeting. Kate. Kate leans in a bit. Did you guys hear about Duncan? Sarah's eyes squint in anger. I heard it was none of your business. Lila looks at her. Sarah, were you going to tell me something about Duncan? Sarah nods. Yes, but there's lots of things about Duncan, like he has a pet gecko. Really? Yeah, his name is Chuck. But is that what you're going to tell me? Layla asks. Sarah shakes her head. No. Kate speaks up. Well, I was going to say, she is quickly interrupted by Sarah. His favorite movie is Temple of Doom. I know. Traditionally, it should be Raiders of the Lost Ark, but we're all different. Kate interrupts the interruption. Wow, Sarah, that's what I was going to say. Sarah looks at her surprised. Really? No, of course not. Sarah, stop trying to stall what Kate is going to tell us. Sarah looks slightly offended. Stall? I'm sure I don't know what you mean. I'm just making delightful conversation about our mutual friend named Duncan. Lila sighs in annoyance. Go ahead, Kate. Suddenly, Dean, a tall, handsome sort, sporting New Year's party glasses, appears. Hey, ladies. Sarah and Kate look at each other, and Sarah quickly goes into an awkward panic dance. Dean! The mean Dean machine! Is she trying to stall something from happening? Dean asks Lila. Yes. Kate has been trying to tell us something about Duncan for the last, like, two hours. Sarah gives Lila a look. Over-exaggeration? Ooh, Duncan gossip, my favorite kind. Dean leans in to hear better. Kate shakes her head. It's nothing. Sarah nods, her eyes to the floor. Yeah, never mind. She looks up suddenly. How long till midnight? Lila is done. Oh, no, 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 no. I did not just waste like an hour of my time at this party for you guys not to tell me whatever this thing is about Duncan. Sarah gives her a slightly worried look. Another exaggeration. Wait, does it have to do with me? Dean asks suddenly. 
Everyone looks at each other like they are all trapped. Sarah speaks up. I don't know how to move on from here. Ugh. Fine, I guess I'll be the one, Kate offers. Duncan is moving to Japan. Really? Lila asks. Yeah, in two weeks. Dean looks at her. What does that have to do with me? Sarah interjects. Because he wants you to go with him, duh. Dean is confused. Me? Why? All three girls yell at him. Because he's in love with you! Kate notices Duncan from across the room look over at them. He waves and starts walking over. Oh, crap. He looked over. Pretend we're talking about something else. Sarah rises to the occasion. And so, to conclude, that is why I think Duncan is an idiot for preferring Temple of Doom to Raiders. Duncan smiles at them as he approaches. Happy New Year's, guys. Hey, Dean. Dean blushes. Hey, Duncan. What are you guys talking about? I heard you're moving, Lila says. Oh, yeah. Our Tokyo branch had an opening. I have family there, so I thought I'd apply. That's amazing. Congrats. Awkward pause. Like they all know where this is going, but refusing to take it there. Duncan looks at his watch. So, three minutes till midnight. Let's go around and say what our New Year's resolutions are. Lila? Oh, well, maybe to call my mom more. That's a good one. Moms are important. Sarah? I want to spend more time on my Match.com profile. Really make it pop. Kate? Well, I'm going to Haiti in the spring as a volunteer to help Doctors Without Borders, so... Wow, Kate, that's incredible, Dean smiles. She smiles back. Sarah decides to take this moment to call Kate out. I didn't hear a resolution in there. I guess to really prepare myself for the culture change and for the work? Okay, but that's not really a resolution. That would be only one if you went to Haiti last year and you weren't prepared for it, so you're working this year to be better. Sarah thinks she's got her finally taken down the perfect Kate. Well, I went to Thailand last year. Sarah grumpily takes a swig of her drink. Screw you, Kate. Duncan turns to Dean. How about you, Dean? I'll let you go first, Duncan. Dean touches his arm. Can I talk to you in private? Nope. Everyone here seems to already know things about me before I even do, so you might as well just say it out loud. Okay, listen, Dean. That night, I've been thinking about it ever since. Lila leans over and whispers to Sarah, What night? Sarah whispers in reply, They kissed on Thanksgiving night after we all left our marvelous Friendsgiving feast. It was pretty marvelous. Those sweet potatoes, though. Dean and Duncan are waiting for them to finish. Can I continue now? Duncan asks. Lila nods. Yes. Sorry. Anyway, I know this is really brand new, especially for you, but I... I really want to tell you that I've been pining for you since the moment we met. I was dating Lila when we met, Dean points out. Duncan smiles. I have a thing for closeted straight guys. Lila shrugs. Me too, it seems. Dean looks at the floor. I don't know what to say. Duncan speaks low. You don't have to say anything. All I'll say is that kiss on Thanksgiving gave me hope for something more during a time when I was feeling utterly hopeless. So thank you for that, Dean. Thank you for the hope. Even if that is all you're willing to give. Dean reaches over and lightly grabs Duncan's hand. Sarah begins bouncing in excitement. He's grabbing his hand! The other girls shush her. Shh. 
I keep thinking about it too. I keep seeing us and it's scary, but it's also something I'm willing to try. Just be gentle with me and be patient. What about Japan? Duncan asks, hopefully. Oh, right. You know what? Why the hell not? I've always wanted to live there. Sarah chimes in. And you just got fired, so you're free. Dean cocks his head. Yes. Thank you for that reminder, Sarah. Sarah lifts her glass to him. You're welcome. Oh, look. Five, four. Everyone joins in. Three, two, one. Happy New Year. Kiss you two, Kate says to the boys. They do, and the girls cheer. Yay! Sarah starts singing. May all acquaintance be forgot. Kate chimes in. And never brought to mind. Sarah puts her arm around her. Damn it, Kate. You insufferable goddess. Kate raises her glass. To a happy and hopeful new year. Rewind all the way back to December 31st, 1929, thoughts and minutes away from midnight, in Cassie Soliday's short story, titled, The New Woman. Anita sits on the window ledge, overlooking a quiet and pale New York City, a wine glass filled to the brim sitting next to her. His apartment is dark and it is cold. She wears the dress in which she had met him, the moonlight glimmering on the beads. It was her cheeky friend Gilda who had urged her to buy it with the money her parents had given her to enroll in the city's premier secretary school. Gilda was very persuasive, and so Anita spent it on a boxy dress with no waist. It was a flapper dress, the latest craze, the same dress she is wearing this cold December night. It doesn't fit like it used to, she can no longer get it to zip. That night at the Cotton Club feels so far away now. The glitz, the glamour, and oh, the jazz. Anita had never heard such music. It vibrated through the floor from her toes up through her body. It made her move. This dress that ended above her knees had given her the freedom, and the hanging beads that lined the bottom hem didn't look too bad neither when she would sway. The fabric felt so good against her skin and the loss of her long auburn locks, thanks to Gilda, made her head feel weightless. This, Anita thought, I would never have experienced this in Ohio. Where else would the celebrities on stage cinema literature finance go? If you want to marry rich, hun, you have to get out there where they are. And so they did. Anita watched as Gilda lured herself around of men who hung on her every word and bought her drinks. You have kind eyes, Gilda said to a curly blonde gentleman. I personally only go for complicated men. Buy my gal Anita a drink, would you? Anita hadn't really drank before, other than sips here and there from Gilda's glasses. She didn't like the aftertaste or the blurry headspace it left her in. Rocky was too handsome for his own good, and definitely too handsome to decline. Gilda was right. He does have kind eyes. If she had known his hand in his wallet was equally kind, Anita is sure she never would have passed him along to her. Anita picks up the wine glass and swirls it around. 
She smells it, but it almost makes her gag. Rocky was really into jazz and nightclubs. His friends were all in finance, like him. Early to work and early to nightcaps. They lived on Wall Street from open to closing. Surprising that they never grew sick of one another. But maybe the blur at night made it feel like less time. Gilda bounced between his friends, but Rocky and Anita would go on walks in the early evening as the lights would turn on in the city. This particular night, something stood on her mind, and he noticed. She shared with him that she had run out of money and will have to return home. She lied, by Gilda's advice. Anita, hun, she cried. He's smitten with you. He won't want to lose you, and he'll ask you to marry and move in. You'll be set, and all thanks to moi. That's me in French. Marry me, Anita thought about her plan. We've barely just met. Come now, thank me. I'm an expert. I get three proposals per night. Not always for marriage, I'm sure, Anita cracked one at her. Gilda snorted. Oh, stop that, you! And wouldn't you know it? Gilda was right. Mostly. Rocky asked her to move in, but the proposal of marriage was bypassed. Coming from a religious family, she hadn't heard of such a thing, but hoped that in this new liberal world it might be accepted. She was wrong. Her family cut her off. No longer a liar, she was broke and in dire need to be taken care of. The deeper into Rocky's life she fell, the more brash their lives got. Nightly binging together while Anita slept all day getting rid of headaches and stomach pains just to keep a tired finance man out on the town and entertained all night. Anita picks up her wine glass and dumps it out the open window to fall onto the street below. The city isn't as bright as it used to be back in those days, with many of its nightclubs and frivolous entertainment low on patrons. Maybe this life feels so far away as it's a medicated blur of events, foggy by each drink and sleepless night. A new year is upon her and about to begin. She looks down at the ground, several flights below. Rocky was gone. He hadn't been the same since Black Tuesday. Anita stands and removes her dress, the beads creating a musical wind chime on the way to the ground. Bruises on her body have faded away since last she's seen Rocky, and the bump that has become her belly has grown a trimester. In her heart, she knows this is wrong, but her fear and anger are blurring her thoughts. For the first time in a long time, she's sober. She thinks about her choices. So far, everyone has made them for her. Her family sending her to secretary school. Gilda pulling her into the Roaring Twenties head first, Rocky luring her into luxury and sexuality. Everyone was talking about the new woman for the last decade. Anita never took the time to consider the weight of the concept. Too lost in the blue ocean of Rocky's eyes. Eyes that her baby will be born with, no doubt. In the morning, Anita will be homeless, thrown into the streets for Rocky's estate to be torn apart. She held her stomach as she looked out the window towards the brand new George Washington Bridge. The new woman, they said, has the same guts as a man. If he could do it, so could she. The cold air blew in and made the hair on her body stand on edge. 
her toes freezing from the concrete brick. Off in the breeze, she could hear her neighbor's television set. The band was playing Odd Long Sign live at the Roosevelt Hotel Grill. She had heard this one year prior when she thought nothing could touch her and life would never change. She closed her eyes and took a deep breath. Smiling, she knew what she needed to do. In that cold apartment overlooking a wine spill, clothes and items of wealth and luxury that were left behind no longer owned, abandoned, the only pieces missing were modest leather heels, a silk blouse, and a brown skirt. Exactly what she was wearing the day she arrived in New York years earlier. Her own new woman, rising from the ashes of a life created for her, but not by her. She would begin again, but this time for two. Jammiest Bits of Jam is produced by Christina Kishbaugh and Cassie Soliday. Music by Grace Sai. Recording of Audelon Sign by Guy Lombardo and the Royal Canadians. Follow us on Facebook as Jammiest Bits of Jam Podcast and Twitter at Jammiest Bits. If you're interested in learning how to contribute to the show with your own short story based on the next theme to the podcast, please email jammiestbits at gmail.com. Until then, keep writing and embracing the most important thing that you have your voice.